Welcome to episode 7 of Sound Learnings, a podcast about education in audio, music technology and music production, sponsored by Routledge. My name is Tim Canfer, and I'm joined by our other hosts, Russ Hepworth-Sawyer and Carola Bohm. I'm recording this intro in June 2022. The recording of this episode took place in August 2020. This episode is a chat with Katie Tavini, a mastering engineer based in the south of England. Katie's mastered music for artists such as We Are Scientists, Nadine Shah, Emily Sandy and Arlo Parks, as well as being a three times MPG Mastering Engineer of the Year nominee. We discuss Katie's journey to being a mastering engineer, choosing the right degrees, working for a for-profit HE institution, as well as the late nights and sacrifices needed in the industry. Russ and Katie go full mastering geek out, and Katie discusses the issues around being a woman in the industry and the inherent trolling. But we had a great chat with Katie, who was lovely and open and a real joy to talk to. Enjoy! It's good to see you. Thank you for joining us, Katie. Thanks for having me. Um, let, let's just start with some some information. What was what's your development been? What's your journey into industry been like? Can you tell us a bit about where you come from and what you've gone to? Yeah, um, I guess um, oh, this is like the hardest question because <laughs> it is. Sorry, <laughs> it's just such a long. <laughs> It's such yeah, a long, or it can be a very long question. But um, well, I tell you what, it's just one of those where we we try to tell you, can you tell us everything in a really short period of time? Okay, <laughs> it's totally unfair. So I'll do the Ace Ventura like big breath and then just patch it out. <laughs> well, no, it, well, I suppose what I'm saying is just uh, just tell us whatever comes to mind that you think okay. is, is interesting. That obviously would be totally different if we asked you tomorrow, but that's totally fine. So I guess like I was always interested in sound. Mm. Um, like my dad collects records and so um yeah we always have music on in the house and when I was like seven I heard these um these kids in my primary school playing violin in assembly and it was like the worst sound I've ever heard in my life and I said <laughs> to my parents I want to make that sound because I'd only ever heard sound sound really good ah. before <laughs> on um you know on, on vinyl yeah. um and so I begged my parents for violin lessons. Um, and eventually I was allowed, like we borrowed violin from school and had a few violin lessons and stuff. But um, so, yeah, I always really knew that I liked sound. Um, and my granddad gave me a tape, little tape recorder as well. <laughs> um, so he used to like recording my little brother. So it, oh. th- there's been an interest from an early age. Um yeah, I just really like sound. And then um, did music GCSE, did music tech and music at A-level, mm. failed both of those. Um, hardcore fail. Well <laughs> they got Good an work. E in music. <laughs> but it, it was all like, it was all memorizing yeah. scores. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. I'm sure we had to do like... Um, Oh, what was it? We called it Radox the Priest, but it's Zadok the Priest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> handle. Um, <laughs> but it was all really hardcore classical music, and it wasn't, you know, relatable for anyone if you've not really studied classical music forever. Even though I had studied classical music and music theory, it wasn't relatable to me at all. That's interesting. So, um, so yeah, I really failed. Hard what, on that. what about the music tech, Katie? 
Um, <laughs> very different now, but the music tech, I really loved it. Like, um, yeah, we had to like memorize the MIDI numbers and stuff for general MIDI and <laughs> had to submit like programming. Um, so that, that was not the last specification, but probably the specification before that. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to tell the years because that's an unladylike thing. To, to I'm fine with them knowing the years. But, it was yeah, but, 2005 and 2006. So it's, it's, a, it's a been a while. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> whereas, like, you know, I go to to colleges and unis now to talk about sound and stuff. And I don't even know if they know what general media is. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if they even bother teaching that because it's just, mm. you know, stuff's got so advanced. Mm. um it's actually bonkers it is yeah and but, so um, what got you to Salford in the end um <laughs> basically Leeds College of Music turned me down <laughs> for their production degree and that was right. the only place I wanted to go to really like I would like read the perspective you know it's back in the olden days where they didn't really have websites and there was hard copy prospectors. Mm. I used to read it every night and just dream of going there and using the studios and studying production. I just applied to Salford because it was the nearest place to home. Um, mm. And like, you know, all my friends were from Manchester and stuff. And um, so I did acoustics for a year and then decided that that was definitely not for me mm. because I can't do maths. Um and then I, I changed courses to the just the general music course because I really didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. I knew I wanted to be on the technical side of music, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do, what the options were, how to get into it. I didn't know anyone that did it. And social media wasn't a thing. So all of these yeah. people who did it weren't visible. Like I used to go into HMV and buy a CD and read who the producer was, yeah. but they, like I couldn't access <laughs> that producer and ask them for help. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was very different and you were mm. sort of feeling a bit lost and stuff, but, um, yeah, I did the music course and it was actually amazing because, they had this really small recording studies module and the tutors were so good. They mm. really encouraged us to listen and try new stuff and be very, very playful in the studio and make mistakes. That's great. And I think that was really important because like now if I make a mistake, that's uh, that's not very good. Whereas in uni, I learned so much from that. And um, yeah, that was really valuable. That's kind of how I how I started, and then um, one of my tutors one day was like, "You were always here. Do you want a job in a studio?" And I was like, "Yeah, right. Why not?" <laughs> I just thought it would be like you know, a bit of a bit of making tea for people, but it was actually um, it was a really cool job um, working in a studio in North Manchester, um, and I did that for a while. Mm, nice. I mean, it it sort of demonstrates also how difficult it is to to understand how to access the the right degrees and and the right spot in the mm. industry you know because i was thinking while it's you were so hard while you were talking you know now now i'm going to show my age because rewind another 20 years <laughs> <laughs> and i tried in germany to get into a tonemeister course and i was talking to mm. to Russ earlier and to tim earlier the tonemeister course at that time in germany was a preeminent uh, course which 
you know, where all sort of graduates go immediately to the equivalent of the BBC. And they would take, there were only two mm. places where you could study it. And one of the places only took two students per year, per year. Wow. <laughs> you know, and that was the only higher education degree at the time. So you could, you know, that was a five, four or five year degree. Then you had sound engineering, which was two years. Then you had sound technician, which was nine months. And of course, and that was the question that I was going to ask you, actually, because I know that from what you also said, your your background is actually more in the classical music than in the popular music. And in Germany, because, of course, the classical music industry is was stronger, certainly in my time, than the popular music industry. So, so the other way around than here, when you said sound engineering or tonemeister, you would immediately associate it with uh, orchestral, classical, you know, classical contemporary, but instrumental uh, music. Um, and that, of course, is almost switched here because here, if you go into music technology or sound production or sound engineering, you know, it's much more common to go immediately into the popular music industry and not unless you go to Surrey to, uh, University to study Tonmeister. Mm -hmm. uh, but otherwise, you, you deal much more with popular music. Yeah, it's true. I mean, at Salford, it was quite good because they sort of did two courses that were adjacent to each other. Mm. Um, I think now you can just join and you can be a classical musician or a popular musician and it doesn't really matter. But at the time, the course that I did was very classical. Like, you know, we did um, like uh, dictation, composition, um, arrangement, composing, yeah. arranging. Like mm. it was all um, very classical. Which is great for master. But, um, well, yeah, I was going to say this, like, Am I making this up? But Ross, do you have a classical background? No, well, um, not entirely. No, I'm, I'm, I, I learned classical guitar as a kid, but I wouldn't say no. I'm rock and pop all the way through. Okay, because it seems like a, a pretty common theme for some mastering engineers mm, yeah, to have a classical fun. background. Or, or interestingly, I mean, if it's not so, if you think of someone like Nick Watson, it's very scientific background. So, mm. you know, physics or astrophysics degree or something crazy like that. But, you know, Simon and Paul and others from sort of Abbey Road, Andy, they're all kind of very classically trained, actually. So, yeah, there, there's a kind of mix, I think, over there. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, yeah, it's interesting. It, yeah, I think it's interesting also because in Germany, of course, there is a sort of also this highbrow, lowbrow divide at the time was very much there. So it was, you know, in, in the industry, you would say, well, the tonemeister just tells the sound technician what to do. But if something goes wrong, the tonemeister doesn't know at all what to do. He's completely lost when, you know, when one person is sick and doesn't come into the studio or when one piece of equipment uh, comes down. And then there was this notion that the sound engineer and the sound technicians, which actually come, are much more practiced in, in, in a creative thinking in terms of the technology, would have to solve the the situation out mm. but that's you know it's a it's a particular german kind of context and you know and i think that was also one of the reasons why i came here because i wasn't one of the two people who made it into the tonmeister course so just like you i had to find different <laughs> options and i studied then uh mm. engineering separately from music and and basically put my own mm. own bespoke degree together but do you think that if you'd have got onto the Tom Meister, you'd be where you are now? Well, I'm really glad I didn't because doing that whole process, I learned, you know, because I, I went to Detmold and did a sort of two day audition. So they did everything, ear listening and arranging. And um, 
and the tone master students that we got to know, you know, in, in some ways you didn't, you know, it, you could tell it was a different kind of culture. And uh, I was, you know, just like you, it was this playful with technology, you you know, this, this sort of creative relationship that you had with technology, rather than be able mm. to say in a recording studio and saying, oh, yeah, uh, second violin, you're, could, could you just retune, you know, <laughs> and there are maybe 10 yeah. violins there, you know, so it was that, that Tonmeister degree was really set up that those individuals had the highest listening skills that you could think of. But the concept at that time was that sound engineering was only being needed specifically for handling the recording of large orchestral type recording contexts. Mm -hmm. So that that concept, and of course that came much later, and Britain is a leader in that, that concept of really using the studio as a creative tool and being able to work mm -hmm. with that, with the creative you know, talent that you have in the studio, but you know, with the... Uh, engineers at all stages putting some creative input in that's something which britain let on and you know and that was one of the things why why you know i decided to come to this country um, yeah well, are we leaders still that's a good question for another podcast Karen. <laughs> oh, I, oh i think we do i think we there do also thanks to people like yeah. katie <laughs> well indeed indeed it's picking up a story so i mean you, you did your degree at salford so I mean, for the benefit of the audience, I mean, where, how did you make that transition from being on your classical course, working in your studio in North Manchester to ending up being in Brighton and Hove and doing what you're doing now? It's been a long journey. <laughs> you know what? It's been a really, really long journey, actually. So, um, yeah. So I'm not going to answer <laughs> Yeah. Um, basically, when you record, everyone expects you to be able to mix and I find mixing, I, I love the recording. I love the energy on a recording session. I love being creative. And that's where my interest stops. Yeah. Um, I don't love mixing. I don't love sitting there for days, like nudging a vocal up and then the singer going, oh, actually, I want to redo my take. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, mate, can we not? <laughs> like, and there's just... I I much preferred being creative in the studio as opposed to sitting in front of a computer and being creative mm. in the box, um, mixing. And so I was I was getting like really desperate because my mixes weren't good and I was really trying to improve them. And um mm. I don't know where, but I asked somewhere on the internet, and this this is not a story that, you know. It's not a strong start, is it? <laughs> but um, <laughs> someone basically said, oh, if you want to learn how to mix, then learn how to master. And I kind of get that logic because you're understanding where the finished item ends mm. up. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I would have much preferred for someone else to show me how to master. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of a long journey of me um, – I was kind of taking tracks home and trying to master them um, on like very basic plugins because I didn't really have any equipment of my own. And um, then when the professional masters came back, I'd like try and compare them and see what the other person did and mm. why didn't mine not sound anything like that. Hmm. And then the more I did that, the more I kind of got to know, okay, so they're not actually changing the mix. They're just like slightly... Yeah slightly changing it like tiny little things and I sort of got to see like common 
themes um and especially where stuff had been mastered by the same engineer I'd get to sort of be able to look at what that engineer like their sort of tastes and stuff mm-hmm. um would that be part of any uh, a course or was that something you were developing for yourself no that was just when I was working and I was trying to get better at mixing right. because yeah it was just something that I really didn't enjoy and I mm. didn't want to do <laughs> but I wanted to still be able to record bands yeah. and I thought that if I wasn't able to mix to a, a high standard then no one would want to mm-hmm. work with me to record um and you know there, there wasn't a lot of information on the internet there wasn't tutorials there were like you mm. know we're talking like 2009 and, here and even so I mean um, even so I mean mixing is one of those really strange paradigms it, it's become the popular part of audio engineering again now i'd say mastering's had it. yeah mastering the last maybe five years has been very popular but now it seems to be mixing again and it's still very very i mean we've spoken we've spoken to mike cave who you you and i both know him well and we've had him on the show so already but you know mike's obviously carved himself out as one of the only mix and mastering engineers we've got i think and um mm. he's good at both but, it, but it's mixing is a really strange entity and i do do it rarely now but it's um a very different art form to what we do and um i think it, it sounds like you're probably quite hypercritical if you don't mind me saying because it's a mastering be... engineer of course she's critical <laughs> exactly so like it's not kind on the hypercritical mixing because we can because there's so you know it it's a tricky thing isn't it and it, you often see there's a there's almost a degree of bravado that seems to help with um in that process Certainly, from my perspective, I'm obviously generalizing massively. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is, I'm sure your mixes were great. (laughs) Um, Well, you know what? Actually, when I listen back, you know, sometimes I listen back to stuff that I used to do, and it wasn't bad. Yeah, see, this it just wasn't good. It was very average. But I've got a really short attention span, and so the process (laughs) was never fun. Whereas, you know, today, what if I worked? I've done an album, a single, and I've like done the formats and metadata for two more singles, and wow. they're all different genres, and that's mm. that's a normal day for me. It's very very varied, and so I really like that. Whereas sitting with a mix for a few days and yeah, yeah, it's not my bag. Mm. So just and to I, get a snapshot, <laughs> what what kind of genres were you working on today? Just to get a snapshot for what, what your uh, a day in the life of Katie Chavini. Um, okay, so the album I did was um, a really beautiful, um, very, it's a kind of sort of floaty electronica, but with some, some real instruments in as well. It's it's really nice. Cool. Um, like I mean, some, we, allowed, we can plug them if you want. I'm quite happy to. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed. <laughs> okay, don't then. That's fine. That's great. Secretive. A bit of mystery goes a long yeah. way. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that was kind of floaty electronic but then it also had this like there was one track in particular that had this like massive saxophone like build up of chaos which i love stuff like that so that was great um the single was a trap song right um so yeah very different to the, the right. album and then the the two singles i finished one was like electronic pop and the other was a jungle track so there's a yeah, there's a few few different genres. That's great, all in one day. Yeah, all in one day, yeah. Um oh, I can't even remember what I did yesterday. And then tomorrow I've got <laughs> um like a Riot Girl style album on. 
which will be really fun. So, yeah, (laughs) mastering's so varied and it's really quick. And, yeah, I really like that. And I like being pedantic. Mm. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah, I like being able to make something like, oh, they've not noticed there's a click there. I'll remove that. (laughs) Like They don't even know it's been and gone. (laughs) Like the fourth violin, two and the fourth violin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's exactly how it is. <laughs> so what was what what was your step? Was there one particular sort of process that led you from you know a, a mixing studio to the mastering process or was it more of a gradual, you know, journey? Um it was very in at the deep end. So mm. I basically I got a message one night on Facebook from a guy who um was friends of some friends and he basically said, I'm looking for a mastering engineer. <laughs> Um, <laughs> can you master this? And I was like, hang on, I don't even know you. What? <laughs> um, <laughs> and wow. he was like, yeah, it's like, we need it by tomorrow. So I said, well, I can recommend some people, but I don't think they'll be free. And he was like, well, can you give it a go? And I said, well, I'm not a mastering engineer, so no. It was really persuasive. So I said, well, <laughs> go on then. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Wow. But if it's rubbish, don't use it, please. Um, and, you know, we stayed up all night, like bouncing things back and forward and discussing it and getting opinions and stuff. And in the end, we we turned out with um, a project that we're both really proud of. Cool. And then he was like, oh, my band's, um, you know, making an album. Do you want to master it? And so that was the Sonic Room 6 album. Wow. Um, <laughs> so that did quite well. And then after that, people hired me to master <laughs> their yeah. songs. And so I thought, well, I best get some uh, some decent speakers and some headphones <laughs> and stuff. But I never, I never called myself a mastering engineer back then because it was just like, oh, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't feel real does it feel real? does it feel real now katie it felt real today for like the first time <laughs> I, 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 knowing you as i do <laughs> i knew that was going to be your answer so i, I knew that that was co- going to be coaxed out to be honest but not because yeah. you were coming on the sound learnings podcast obviously <laughs> it's <laughs> all because I'm <laughs> 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 yeah. this is it guys you've made me a mastering engineer <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> no, I think it was just the realization of like, oh, this is what I do now. Mm. Um, so, yeah. um, rewinding a bit in 2018, I went to work at the British Library as a transfer engineer. Um, wow. But London's really expensive, it turns out. Yeah. So I had to master <laughs> on the side to sort of, you know, be able to afford. Mm travel and food um so that's manchester down to london or yeah yeah. manchester to london um and so i did that for a year and then i applied for the same job in brighton and then um did that for about a year and then went part-time there and then um so yeah january this year i went part-time as a transfer engineer and then literally a month and a half ago (laughs) Oh, cool. I went full time as a mashing engineer. Mm. So it's been a really long journey. Like, it's not, it's not been an overnight thing. I think sometimes people kind of 
you know, they see things and they see things online and they think, oh, that person's doing really well and it's just mm. come overnight and they mm. don't realize, you know, all of the late nights Absolutely. and, you know, the sacrifices that you've had to make. And that's one thing that I really try and like really talk about whenever I talk to students is right. this is hard work. <laughs> if you don't come from a really privileged family mm. that can support you while you work for free, yeah, it's a hard it's a hard industry to work in, unfortunately, which is a shame. Do you think it's getting harder? Um, I think in some ways it's getting harder and in some ways it's getting easier Mm. because now you don't have to do an unpaid internship at a studio in order to become a mastering engineer. Mm. I haven't, Mm. um, you know, and there's, social media is really really good for advertising yourself and making connections and meeting people that you can learn off and Mm. you know like yeah I don't think I would have met you guys if it wasn't for social media so yeah that's really cool um but at the same time there's more people trying to do it yeah so it is more competitive so I don't know I think it's it's probably the same but different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good answer. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I guess that's also due to the technological innovations. So the technological barriers have come down so more people can do it. Yeah. But to make that a sustainable business, to sustain yourself, that becomes mm. harder. Whereas before the barriers for you to mm. get to a position, to have a position in one of the studios, which were the only places where you could have all of the equipment, you know, th- that was already difficult. But then you had a sustained job, at least for some time until, you know, the next um, uh, financial crisis. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I guess in some ways, that's where it's easier. The barriers are not there anymore, the technological barriers, mm. but where it's harder is, 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 you know, suddenly one has to do everything. One has to build up your own website. One has to create your own mm-hmm. social media marketing. Yeah. You have to do, you know, you suddenly become um, quite a um, ubiquitous you know that have to be talented in various areas of a business it is quite mad like i used to do a job marketing for an audio school um whose name i'm not going to mention but <laughs> um they don't get any promotion <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah no guessing which one but anyway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um like yeah i did that job part-time um for like four years um just while I was kind of setting up mastering and learning and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. And it was, even though I didn't like working there because I hated the culture, actually the job taught me so much Mm. about, you know, marketing. Mm. Like I was basically being paid to learn how to do marketing and I didn't appreciate that at the time at Mm. all. Mm. Um, Without getting too specific, can I ask what it was about the culture that, that you you didn't like so much? Very sort of clinging on to the 90s Manchester mm. era. Very lad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was one point where it was when I was coming to the end of, of working there where um, they were boasting... Um, industry active tutors and I was like I've been telling you that you've been teaching mastering wrong 
for three years now. And also, I've had more releases this year than all of your teaching staff put together. I don't feel like I can promote and I don't feel like you should be promoting your course in this way because it's not ethical to sell people their dreams Mm. and, you know, not be realistic about it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No. That's uh, it, basically. It's interesting comparing that to obviously you had such a positive experience with uh, your degree from based going on what you said before and it's such a shame that then and you went on to such a negative experience then working for I suppose isn't it well I think the difference might be and I'm just taking a guess for-profit institutions higher education institutions and not for-profit higher yep. education institutions yeah you know and that's a whole that is exactly room it. of bags which um you know we, we know very much about but um <laughs> there's a tension especially in the music industry because it's, it was one of the first industries which really went heavily into forming a variety of for-profit um higher education degrees that uh, were marketed yep. as being very close to the industry but the business yep. the core business was actually higher education i assume that yeah it's hard because a lot of these places used to be working studios yeah. but then obviously once you know once the sort of cd boom era had dried up yeah you know there wasn't as much money in music mm, or studios or whatever and so they turned to education because they had the facility already, but that doesn't really make you an educator. And I think it's different when you go to a, to a normal uni, hmm. I don't know what you'd call them, just normal uni, like <laughs> Salford, for example, like they had no agenda. Yeah, They were like, you know, we'll teach you as much as you want to learn. Yeah. And it was all very, you know, it was very transparent. Mm. Like if I took some work that was not good, my tutor would tell me that my work wasn't good. Hmm. The tutor, you know, they'd be very honest about, and I'd say, you know, I really want to improve this. How can I do this? And they would give me that feedback. Whereas I think with the private sector, you're almost more mothered Mm. through your degree. um, Because obviously the more people who stay on your courses, the more people who graduate equals more money. And I think sort of, yeah the learner is the customer it's not it's not great i don't know and also Mm. just from an educational point of view like you're not you're not going to learn if people are basically doing the degree for you that's that's interesting that was going to say an an interesting segue we can do here is you know katie um your educational experience has been teaching for the red bull academy and that's offers a different um, educational experience for people. Could you want to tell everyone about that a bit more? Yeah, so it's actually um, Normal Art Novelty that I um, did rather than the Red Bull Music Academy. Um, I did apply for the Red Bull Music Academy once. Again, (laughs) didn't get in. But like Carola was saying before, (laughs) I I don't think I'd be in this position if I got into Leeds College of Music or got into the Red Mm. Bull Music Academy. So... Mm. Brendan Harding, who's actually now my manager, um, he he was working at Red Bull Studios at the time. He was the studio manager and the head engineer there, and he set up uh, Normal Not Novelty as a way to um, give a give a safe space to women who were interested in engineering and DJing and music production. And that was really interesting because 
obviously Red Bull were paying for it. And so there was no agenda whatsoever. And the whole the whole vibe was very, very different. It was very collaborative. And it, yeah, the people who turned up, especially the people who turned up month after month, because it's a monthly event, a lot of those people now have really good jobs. <laughs> cool. Because they just, you know, they turned up, they worked hard, they worked hard in their degree or whatever they were doing, and they just really, really built up um, their footing in the music industry. It's a shame that's not still going because mm. it was pretty amazing. I mean, it's interesting because there was quite a few people who, it, it was a free event, who didn't show up because they just signed up because it was free. So I think when you're paying for a degree, yeah. you're kind of committing to showing up. Mm. because you know you're you're paying mm-hmm. for it and i guess the perceived value is a bit different to a free event but yeah the people who showed up to normal not novelty sort of month after month have um have really smashed it or from what i've seen in the engineering um side of things anyway um that's so cool. it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Do you, do you still do you still think that there's uh, well, obviously there are, but do you think there are significant barriers um, as a female working in the industry? Are, are they is it getting worse or better? What do you think? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know it's, it's probably not the right person to ask the question, but uh, it's just interesting because um, <clears throat> I'm basically not sure. When we were allowed to go to events, you know, people yeah. talked down to me and I'd be like, mate, <laughs> you're a student. I've been doing this for 10 years. Can we at least talk to each other like we're equals and we both know what we're doing? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so for example, today um, I did a bit of detective work on an Instagram post mm. and found out that this person's credits weren't all what they were cracked up to be. Right. Oh, damn, you found me out. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Russ. <laughs> but for example, if um, if someone who is not the majority did that, mm. they would give the minority as a whole a bad rep. Mm. But when you're the majority, you can get away with the odd person yeah. kind of not being who they seem or not being completely on top of their game all the time. Mm. For example, if I went to an event and I put my hand up and asked a question and they were like, we literally just answered that question. What are you doing? (laughs) Then I'd kind of get frowned upon. Mm. But if a guy did that, Mm. you know, it'd just be laughed off really casual, like, Oh, what are you doing? That's really funny. So it's kind of, it's still in this weird yeah, it's a very weird middle ground. Mm. And until I think it's really important at um at a university age. Yeah. No one goes, Oh, what does an engineer look like? Okay, he has a beard and a mustache <laughs> and is a man. People don't think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're shown that by yeah. marketing and by male dominated teaching staff and um, you know, lots of different factors. And so you know, when those people do start working in the music industry, that's who they perceive to be an engineer. So, yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's great that there are role models like yourself that you know. Hopefully, we can start seeing more of, and maybe 
as you say, with social media, allowing people to have more of a public outlet. But I suppose that also has its negative side because there's some hideous trolling going on. Yeah, I've been trolled a lot on on the internet. Um, You know, like um, a speaker company, which I very much like, uh, used my picture. And um, and yeah, every every single comment was... um, about the fact that I have breasts, even though they were not visible in the picture for obvious reasons. Wow. I I was clothed. Um, and so that's kind of, that's really hard when, you know, just the photo of you doing your job yeah. causes that kind of reaction. It, it's not going to change until people see that kind of thing on the, you know, on a regular basis yeah. and go, oh, it's... <laughs> It's just someone who's not a man. This is fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's true, but yeah, yeah. we don't. I suppose for a bloke, we don't. You don't see it until you realise. And there's a great quote from the Women's Audio Mission: that you, "You can't be what you can't see." Um, yeah, that's like, a really good. I was like, oh, oh, right. Oh, it's that. That's so obvious. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> representation really matters. But yeah. And it's so easy now with social media to find people. Mm. Um, someone complains the other day that they um, they couldn't find people when searching for female audio engineer. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> they're probably not putting on their website that they're a female audio engineer. Yeah, that's part of the problem, isn't it? I, I, I mean, I do think that there's been a massive... Uh, what's the right word um observation recently of um female engineers there's leslie gaston bird's book that's been about gender in music production um we put out a book last year where my yeah. colleague mark did a great chapter on historic uh, ladies in music production going all the way back to right at the big very beginning so these kind of things are coming to the fore and yourself and uh i've forgotten the lady's name mastering engineering uh, states got a name anyway um she's she's coming to prominence as well sort of same sort of time as you there, there seems to be a lot more um in the press obviously you're you're until pro sound was it pro sound news or was it audio media it went um your column and so on yeah pro sound news but i have been relocated to audio media International. I, I, I thought i'd say uh, that, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes i thought that so, so obviously good. feel free to plug any any of your own outlets that you want to, you know, that, or, you know, your own. Well, I mean, I say I've been relocated, but I've not actually had time to write a column for it yet, but. Okay. These are Katie's conversations <laughs> that end up in the magazine really. So aren't they? They are. It's literally <laughs> just like whatever. Yeah. Like conversations that I've had or, you know, things that I find interesting or I really like observations well, that we, sounds like such a stupid we, phrase. We, no, we, had, <laughs> we had a great plug for our conference, so I'm not complaining, but you know. Oh yeah, you had a good plug for your <laughs> conference, didn't you? Yeah, I'm not complaining. <laughs> There'll be others. Yeah. There'll be others. But well, like, you know, that was the first conference I'd ever been to because before that I didn't feel welcome at a conference. Wow. Because I felt like it was a very academic thing and like even though I've got a degree, my degree wasn't really very academic it just wrote music like you know um and it wasn't even music that was trying to be academic it was just Mm. music that I liked Mm. um so I'd never been to a conference before and I thought they'd be really stuffy and scary and it was a really safe space and Mm. I was really glad that it happened um and I've been to conferences since 
not enjoy them as much, obviously. Of course. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, like that's totally changed the way I, I viewed things. Just, just, just to say, um, it was the audio engineering society mastering conference in 2018. Um, (laughs) okay. Katie was, uh, the interviewer of, uh, Mandy Parnell, who was our keynote interviewee. So there we are. That's what that was. That was also my first time interviewing anyone, and I was well, so scared. <laughs> we, we, threw you, we threw you in at the deep end, and uh, oh, you really did, uh, you really did. <laughs> but I suppose what what was really funny, Sean Davis coming down. That was that was the the fantastic. <laughs> I, I like you know when you think you're going to have so many questions for someone, and then your head is just empty. I was just mesmerized by him. And yeah, we, just... we know about that. We do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a magical man. Sean Davis, though, this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> cool. So, would you, would you have any advice to any students at the moment? Because... I think a lot of what we try to teach is as industry relevant as possible. What what advice would you give to today's students, female, male, whoever, you know, anyone across the board, you know, what, what would you advise them to do? Um, I mean, if they want to do mastering or like audio engineering mm. for a living, mm. the number one thing that I did not think about at all until, um, so it's uh, 2018 and I started sharing a studio in London with a guy. Hmm. And um, that was when I was like, oh, shit, this is a business. Like I actually <laughs> have to earn money <laughs> like <laughs> because otherwise I can't pay for my studio. And hmm. this, yeah, it then becomes difficult. And so I think that earlier you get hold of the idea that it is a business, but businesses aren't always scary and they're not like you know businesses in the media are portrayed as being really horrible Mm. like when i think of a business person i think of matilda's dad (laughs) like for real (laughs) and that's not a nice image and that's not something i aimed for or wanted to become like you know just so far away from that um but you know it's possible to to have a business but be very nice with it. Um, and I, yeah. yeah, I think the, the sooner you go, okay, this is a business and start doing things really properly and treating people that you're working with, with like as much, you know, kindness and respect as possible, yeah. you're gonna do better quicker. Mm. Like, you know, no saying to people, oh, I'll send you mixes next week and then they're chasing you up. Like yeah, none of that. Yeah um that yeah the more professional you can be and the nice you know just be nice to people like if people yeah. ask you to do something either say yes or you say no but don't like leave them hanging <laughs> <laughs> just like really basic human decency things yeah i think that's really important to to sort of get a get a good start doing this i mean i think education is great because it teaches you so many technical things and you know i feel like someone who's doing a degree now will know so much more about mastering than i do Mm. but i've put in the hours of like being nice to people and just you know doing my very best for people as long as you do your very best for people 
you're going to be fine. Yeah, no, that's great. We couldn't really have a being nice module, could you? It's one of those <laughs> things great to learn. Although, yeah, maybe. I'm trying to write, to write a being nice module. Professionalism module, Tim. There you go. <laughs> well, so, yeah, professionalism. We do have employability skills. We have an employability skills module, which I suppose is, is a similar one. But yeah, it's just like writing emails in full sentences and addressing people <laughs> by their name. And yeah. like, I'm talking real basics here, but a lot of people don't do that. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm thinking about like, <laughs> I'm thinking about my, my past experiences. <laughs> like there was one. <laughs> Like the first time I ever had to use Dropbox, I did not know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was sending this poor person so many emails going, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? But I was so worked up about it <laughs> that they weren't even real sentences. I was not nice to them. Oh, oh I mean, I wasn't rude to them, but I was just like in this blind panic. <laughs> and Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all ended well, and they totally understood that Dropbox was the new scary thing at the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's still a scary thing. It's Cloud still is still scary. scary. It's terrifying. Why is there not a select all button? <laughs> yes. What? What? One, one final question, if I may, Katie. What? What does the future look like for Katie Tavini mastering? Mm. You know what? That's a really hard question because I've basically okay. So yeah, I've been mastering since two thousand and eleven. Um, I think I hit a point in 2013 where I wanted this to be my full-time job. Mm. Um, and so I've worked really hard since then mm. to make it my full-time job. And now that it is, I'm kind of like, okay, what happens next? Like you work really, really hard towards a goal and then it happens and it passes you by and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm obviously buzzing to be to be mastering every day but I just want to help artists release their music and it's really nice now because I'm not having to cram all of my mastering into evenings and weekends mm. I can spend more time with artists yeah and really you know go a lot deeper and so I think the next the next couple of years I just sort of want to build that up mm more um but yeah long term the only thing i'm certain on is i want to have a lot of cats <laughs> that's that, that is the end of the podcast there. that's it Cut. are they allowed in the studio oh yeah like wow. i want them like you know tim, getting involved tim, tim they're walking absorbers <laughs> yeah absolutely that's it the mixers will sound so much warmer do you have any cats at the moment i have no cats oh. um <laughs> That's why I really want a cat. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't know like what is next, and that's kind of terrifying and exciting. Mm. Um, I mean, I do photography as a hobby, and I'd really like to do more of that. And it's only now that that's becoming a possibility. I'm not saying I'm going to quit mastering to do photography, but like, <laughs> it's it's now where I'm like, okay, I've got weekends back. Mm. I can start thinking about a life outside of audio, which I've never had. Mm, mm, yeah. Because, you know, even in school and college, there was like music theory lessons, violin lessons, me being a nerd. Like <laughs> I used to make MIDI bangers and chip tune and that kind of stuff. Cool. 
<laughs> and um and so yeah like weekends were always um music time and now i do music every day they kind of don't have to be so it's a little little bit of a weird mm. shift mm. um so yeah i'm kind of just starting to adjust to that nice yeah. well thanks thanks very much casey that's been brilliant thank you Thanks for listening to episode 7 of Sound Learnings. Sound Learnings is produced by Tim Kampfer, Russ Upwith-Sawyer and Carola Boehm. Editing, mixing and mastering is done by Russ Upwith-Sawyer. And the music is composed by me, Tim Kampfer. Carola Boehm does the show notes and the social media. Sound Learnings is hosted by Acast. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review or give us a shout on your favourite social media platform. It does really help. We have some other great conversations on their way. But anyway, for the time being, goodbye for now. Bye. Bye.